Welcome back to Call and Shots. This is Seth Partnow, joined today by uh, a sometime guest, a longtime friend, Jared Dubin. Jared, what's going on? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's been a busy week. I uh, I, I was talking to uh, <laughs> I was talking to John Krasinski uh, earlier this week about uh, getting travel battered by the FAA's uh, uh, problems the other day, but uh, made it home okay. So other than that, it's fine. Traveling, very frustrating. I feel like I just said like uh, that um, that scene in the West Wing where the dude is like, "Crime, boy, I don't know." I feel like I just said like, "Traveling, boy, I don't know." <laughs> and that's when I decided to kick your ass. This is funny. Whenever, whenever Jared and I talk, the, the Sorkin references start coming out. Uh, little known fact: we actually co-hosted a podcast way back in the day that uh, had a, a strong uh, sports night uh, um, homage uh, to it. But that's not a hero there. What we did want to talk about, not Aaron Sorkin, was uh, you wrote a piece at five thirty-eight uh, about Jared Jackson. Um, Jared Jackson, I think, has been for me has been one of the guys where. To see the largest difference between the theory and the actuality for most of his career, and that gap seems to be closing. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm in pretty much the same boat with you. Um, it's been like tantalizing to imagine, like you know, if he becomes the peak version of what we think he could be, then wow, that's such an incredible player, and like this guy could be, you know. He could play as a four, or he could play as a small ball five, and he could anchor your defense, and he can stretch the floor as a shooter on the opposite end. And this is the first time that really all of those things are happening at the same time. You know, last year, I think, is when the defensive stuff really came into focus, and the ability to anchor the small ball lineups really came into focus. Like, last year, I wrote about this, like, at around this time last season, where it was the first time that the Jaren at center lineups were actually outscoring their opponents. And that's held true again this season. But last year he didn't shoot very well. Now he's doing all of the defensive stuff and he's getting back to shooting in like the mid to high thirties from three. So he's providing the floor spacing stuff too. Um, it's just, it's all, it's all coming together in a really fun and really special way. And he's turning into basically the player that a lot of people thought he could be. And it's, I mean, it obviously he started that he he missed the start of the season, so there is still the 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 questions about sustainability and health. But that's not something that that's going to get answered, you know, one way or another, and, and until he either kind of makes it through a playoff run or doesn't, um, you know, <laughs> at, at healthy. Um, the other part, and you talked about this a little bit in your piece. Um, the you mentioned the the the, the Jackson at center lineups. Um, I still feel like those are a sometimes food because I like at least last year I haven't I haven't you know d- I haven't dug into the play by play this year his foul rate was like fifty percent higher at center than it was at power forward and uh, you know fouling too much has been a thing for him his whole career. Yeah, I didn't look specifically at the foul rates as a power forward and center. But, I mean, the foul rates, like, basically this story that I wrote at 538 was all about, like, him being the, you know, the defensive player of the year front runner and how he compares to previous defensive players of the year. 
And uh, his, his foul rate compared to previous defensive players of the year is pretty hilarious. Um, he was at uh, 4.1 fouls per 36 minutes, the only time in 40 seasons that the award has been handed out that anybody fouled more often was Dennis Rodman in 1989-90 when he was at 4.2 fouls per 36 minutes. And if you want to go, like, accounting for pace, he's at 5.4 per 100 possessions, and only Rodman in, again, 89-90, 5.9 per 100, and Alonzo Mourning in 99-2006 per 100 have ever fouled more often. So just even just that rate, not even separating it out by possession, it's a pretty astronomical foul rate for a player who, you know, is considered the favorite to win the award right now. Like if you want to bet on him, it's it's minus odds right now. Um, And to be able to provide that much value defensively, despite, you know, breaking the rules that often um, and potentially sending, you know, your opponent to the line quite often is uh, is pretty impressive stuff. And it, it it needs to be said that this is still you know an improvement. I mean, there were there were times early in his career where he was up over over six per one hundred, six fouls per oh, 100. Oh yeah, like last year he was fouling um, more often than he is this year. When he was you know one of the candidates last year, but I think uh, sort of like a an, an outer edge candidate behind the guys who I think finished in like the top three. Um, but this year he's been just like even better. And, you know, the foul rate coming down a little bit is part of that, but some of it also, um, he led the league in, you know, blocks per game and block rate this year and uh, last year. And he's like shattering those, those rates this season. He's at like almost a full block per game more this year than last year, despite playing fewer minutes. And last year his block rate was 7.4%. And this year it's 11%, which is just, I mean, it's like practically unheard of. That's like that's something you see in a college player that you're like, yeah, this guy's got a chance. It's like, oh, Walker Kessler, not really, you know, he's offensive limited, but man, he's got a he's got a double digit block rate, so we got to give him a long look. Um, but doing that <laughs> in the NBA is, yeah, um, and and that's not just you know, it's not just the 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 the, the, the those numbers. I mean, if you dig into some of the the defensive rim stuff, he's. In, on my point save metric, he is basically lapping the field amongst players who are playing real minutes. Like Brooke Lopez is having a great defensive season. Uh, I, I, I was for has been leading all centers in my you know rim protection win stat, and Jaron has basically caught him despite playing you know despite missing the first what it was a month and a half of the season. And, and yeah, he missed uh, the first 14 games of the year, and he's missed two more since. I think it was like the first couple of back-to-backs. He didn't play one end, but has played, you know, pretty much since then. But that's, and, uh, that's, that's uh, looking it up now, yeah, so far. 11 percent would be the highest block rate of all time. It's been uh, Manute Bull was the only guy to have over 10 percent. He did it four times. Sure. Um, and. Yeah, and Jaron's much more of an every down back than uh, than 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 Bowl ever ever was, right? Yeah. So there's, there, I mean, there's that. There's I I I haven't looked at this again in 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 a couple days, but last time I looked, uh, opponents were shooting uh, under fifty percent within mm-hmm. within uh, on shots under five feet, not just with uh, Jackson defending, but with him on the floor. Which is that? That is oh, wow. like that. That like yeah, like they're shooting like <laughs> like like forty seven or something against his contest, 
Um, it's uh, it's wow. even lower than that. Uh, yeah. It's it's forty two point six percent. Oh my! And the next closest guy is at forty seven point eight. Yeah. So you like fifty percent <laughs> is a good number. Like Rudy Gobert for in his in his in his his deserved defensive player in the year was you know forty nine fifty fifty one and holding guys to forty two, and you know again. Under fifty percent as a team when 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 he's on the floor, um, that's a and these are shots that are that you know are sixty sixty five seventy percent for most teams right? most times that's that's just a huge number of points that are being you know you can uh, you have some room to to give away a few extra free throws if if that's what you're doing on non non foul <laughs> possessions. Absolutely. And it's just like is his presence now is just like so I don't I don't know if I want to say scary, but it's so like uh it it deters people. Like shots don't happen because he's there. And you know, teams waste more of the shot clock and it gives them, you know, less advantageous scoring opportunities. Like he he's pretty far ahead in the you know, the second spectrum stats in terms of like points per um direct drive when he's the help defender. Like basically, when the driver either shoots or passes to a teammate who shoots, or or turns it over or gets fouled or whatever, like he, he's way ahead on that too. Like ahead of guys like Giannis and Draymond and Embiid and anybody else you can think of that's like obviously a really good help defender. He's he's first there too, and it's like that that's just the help stuff. Like run a pick and roll at him, it's not going anywhere. Run a uh, an off ball screen. With his defender not going anywhere, like top ten percent guarding isolations, like it's it's everything this year. Yeah, no, I think it's you know again the start of the year I thought it was like Brook Lopez in a, in in a walk, but uh, but you know Jared has just been and and you're, you're mentioning like him as a help defender, like that's with this Memphis team. I mean, you, you start with they have you know small point guards who can get beat at the point of attack. I think Tyus Jones is a significantly better defender than job but still it's a, there's a lot of chances to 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 be that help defender um and so having someone who can do it that well is is of pretty pretty importance of pretty large importance oh yeah i mean like it's you know similar to the 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 gobert effect which you mentioned when he was uh in utah when they didn't have particularly good perimeter defenders having somebody like that back there to sort of clean up the messes is really important you know, uh, like so just as, a, you know, an example, like I was at the, the Knicks Pacers game the other night and Miles Turner gets scratched, like, you know, in between starting lineup introductions and the start of the game because of back spasms or I think it was. And I was like, the Knicks just were like walking to the basket all night because, they, you know, they have these perimeter defenders who, you know, are they leave something to be desired. And in a lot of nights, Miles Turner is there to clean that up. And that night he's not. And it's like the, the Knicks scored a gazillion points in the first half. They almost blew the game, of course, because that's every Knicks game has to feature a big comeback from them or their opponent. But, you know, it's a, it's a similar thing. Like if you don't have Jaron on the floor or, I mean, luckily for them, uh, Brandon Clark is a very good help defender and Steven Adams is a very good help defender. But, you know, it's it's a lot different when you have a guy who is able to, you know, I think the way I phrased it was like block, deter, or otherwise thwart opponents who come into the lane. Um, it's really valuable. I side note on the Knicks. Um, it's usually a comeback by their opponents. The Knicks actually have have uh, have, have among the lower lowest number of come of big comeback wins 
this year. Now they probably oh the any, as any Nick fan knows, they do what's called the fake comeback, where they yeah. go down by fifteen, cut the lead to four, and then don't win. And which means that they're that uh, in in and their starters end up playing forty two minutes in those games. <laughs> well, that's you know pretty normal yeah. for them in yeah. any game. Yeah. So, um, so but let's stick with the, the the Grizzlies. I feel like. This this is a weird season, in that mm-hmm. um, there are only there are only two teams in the West that are on pace to win fifty games right now. And uh, so, what's that? Them and Denver. Them and Denver. Um, New Orleans has has just dropped under. Um, that's that's tied for the at this point in the season tied for the second fewest in a conference since at least ninety seven, at least the ninety seven ninety eight season. Uh, there's wow. one year where the East had, I think it was 2002, the East, 2-3, the East had one, which I, I can't even think back that far. is probably Detroit. Or that, no, that year is probably Indiana. Who knows? Oh, so um, it's, bo- it's both conferences, not just the West. No, it's it, 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 in a conference that, that, that usually oh, wow. there's, the, usually there's between, there's between, usually there's, it's, there's seven in the league right now. Usually, it, the, over the last you know couple decades, it's been between six and eleven at this point, where it's most often eight or nine. So we're a little bit below that. But in the West, especially, there's only been one year where any given conference has had fewer than two, and not that many has have times has there only been two. So, all that said, I feel like Memphis is is almost not getting discussed as a contender as much as they might be. And which is weird yeah, because are, uh... it's weird because jaw is like, is, has sort of organically become one of the kind of the it guys in the league. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that they're really good. They have the defensive player of the year, well, you know, front runner, or they have one of the, the more, more marketable up and coming stars. They're really good. They're going to get home court. If things continue, uh, they've they've had playoff experience. Why aren't we talking about them more? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'll just I'll st- straight up be honest with you. Um, they're they're second in the five thirty eight odds right now. They've um, surpassed Denver since the start of the season as the top team in the West in those odds, despite their prediction being pretty close to the same. Um, yeah, Denver was projected for fifty four and twenty eight. 25% finals, 13% title. And right now they're 54 and 28, 25% finals, 12% title. But Memphis has gone from being projected at 52 and 30, 18% finals, 8% title to 55 and 27, 32% finals, 17% title, only behind the Celtics. And like th- those look like the two best teams in the West right now. I think a lot of it is just people aren't used to those being the best teams in the West, you know, like it takes people a while to get over sort of like the preconceived notions of what they thought the conference was going to be. You know, the, the Suns are not the Suns from last year. The, the Warriors are not the Warriors from last year. The Lakers are, you know, kind of what the Lakers were for a lot of last season, but it's like, it, it takes people a while to adjust to a new reality. And, you know, half a season is a while to adjust, obviously, but it, it, it might still take people a little longer to get over the perception of what they th- thought the conference was going to be. And I think it especially might take people a while to get used to a team as young as the Grizzlies really being as good as they are. That just usually does not happen. And um, 
I want to look up the exact where they are in minutes weighted age right now. They're the seventh lowest minutes weighted age, and it's just not very often that you see a team that young be, you know, one of the true favorites. Yeah, no, I think Denver being there, I, I mean, I, I picked Denver to make the finals before the season, so. Yeah, I picked them to win, so I'm, yeah. I'm there too. Yeah, so I think, I think Denver with, you know, their guys coming back and the two-time MVP and, and, you know, adding Contavious Caldwell-Pope and I, you know, I, from your perspective, uh, the most important addition of the offseason, Bruce Brown. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, like that, I, I don't think they have, but people, you know, Memphis was something. We, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but we but mem- we talked about Memphis a lot in the preseason, and the consensus seemed to be, yeah, they're going to take a step back this year. Now, I think some of that was uh, some of that was I think people were expecting uh, Jackson to be out longer than he was, mm-hmm. um, but then also they they kind of uh, did I think what is a smart thing for teams to do in that they started to sort of cycle through their rotation pieces instead of, well, Kyle Anderson has been an important part of our team, so we got to re-sign him. Uh, and, just, and, 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 you know, maybe, you know, rely on getting some minutes from whether it's, it's Zaire Williams or David Roddy or Jake LaRavia or um, none of whom have, have been particularly awesome this year. And they're not there, you know, the, you know, getting stopgap John Conchar stuff. Um, but they've managed to be credible enough that that none of those guys have really sunk anything that they've done uh, the way the way we sometimes see with with uh, you know young replacements coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of the you know expected step back for them this year was people thought Jaron was going to be out. Some of it was um, you know the DeAnthony Melton for Danny Green trade, which seemed like it was like a future salary saving kind of move. Um, and I think some of it also was just teams that improve as much as they did year over year. They went from, I think, the equivalent of like a 42 or 43 win team to winning 56 games last year. Teams that do that tend to take like a slight step back the following season. So I think people, you know, potentially thought maybe that would happen for them as well. And I think like if, if you look at they're on pace for 56 wins again. So it'll be basically the same thing. It's not necessarily taking a step forward. I think that the rest of the West is taking a step back and they haven't. Yeah, that's, that's it's, it's, we get four and a half games between fourth and 13th in the West. And, you know, that's maybe credit to some of the worst teams for staying close, but it's also just, I mean, that that's of a piece with, they're only being two two fifty win teams, uh, two two fifty win pace teams right now. Is everyone else is kind of jumbled, and they and they and Denver and to an, to an extent New Orleans have been the only teams that have I think pretty consistently been at that level all year. I mean Phoenix started well, but as soon as they got they started to get any injuries at all, I think they've they've kind of faded badly. Um, you know Utah had a strong start, but I don't think anyone expected that to continue. So. I think so. What you're saying is this is this is sort of the uh, the, the 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 last man standing, rather than necessarily them stepping up, taking another step forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're pretty much as good as they were last year. If you look at you know the advanced measurements of team play, I think their their point differential is like almost exactly the same as it was last year. Um, yeah, it's like five and a half last year, 
plus five this year. Um, you know, they're, they're first in defense, 12th in offense this year. They were fifth and fourth last year. So it's like they were, you know, top five in both. Now they're first and just outside the top 10 net rating, pretty similar to where it was last year. Um, you know, expected win loss pretty much exactly even with their record, just like it was last year. Um, you know, Phoenix falling off, the Warriors falling off, um, Dallas falling back a little bit from where they were last season. Obviously, Utah is not as good as last year. Um, I, I think a lot of it is just they kept their level. Denver came up to meet them. New Orleans was pretty close until the last couple of weeks, and the rest of the West is not as good. That's that's so, not to slight the Grizzlies, by the way. Yeah. They were very good last year, and they remain very good this year. But I don't know if it's necessarily that they're pulling away um, as much as the, the rest of the pack is or has so far dropped away. So looking ahead both uh, to the trade deadline, do they? Do you think they have a move to make? And either way of that, like, what's our level of confidence in them, them heading into the postseason? I... The twelfth and I, the twelfth and offense thing kind of concerns me. I think there's a little bit of, you know, missing Desmond Bain for for a big chunk probably hurt there. But the fact that without Desmond Bain, uh, this is a very limited shooting team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely my number one concern too is the shooting. And I think if you look at um, on cleaning the glass, the um, half court offense, it's not pretty um they are 25th in half court points per play they just happen to have the second lowest share of their possessions come in the half court so you know it, it's a lot of trends it's a lot of the same stuff as last year with transition and offensive rebounds and maybe that dries up maybe it doesn't um but yeah they're they're first in the number of plays that come from putbacks um 21.8 plays per miss. Um, however, you dole that out. But yeah, I, I think that shooting is something they should be looking for at the deadline. Um, I, I don't think Danny Green is ever going to be able to play this year. I mean, he tore his ACL in the playoffs. It would be pretty surprising to me if he were able to come back. But I think he's obviously someone who could help if he were able to come back. Um, you can otherwise use his salary as you know a a salary matching tool to go get somebody i do kind of feel like if they're gonna make a move it's gonna be something pretty aggressive though and isn't just gonna be like for a designated shooter type i think they would kind of be looking for like a significant upgrade on like I, i know that they really like him but if they were you know a significant upgrade on the dylan brooks spot with somebody who's like a big wing that's a more consistent shooter and willing playmaker I don't know who that guy necessarily is, but that's sort of what I would be looking for is like a, another guy who can create with the ball in his hands and shoot well that, you know, doesn't hurt you on defense. I think that's, that's sort of one of the two big questions about, you know, things that are, that, that are regular season workable that you worry about in the playoffs. Now Dylan Brooks has had good playoff moments. Um, but I think that the level of involvement of, with him in the offense, it's you're you're way past the tipping point of of mm-hmm. the right amount of, of of Dylan Brooks for for this team. 
and it, which is which is tough because I think you know he is a he's a very good defender and 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 really good in certain matchups. It's just a question of when does does the the shot selection and inability to make those shots um, kind of start to outweigh that. Um, and and that's a you know at the highest level that's a worry. And then the other one for me is you mentioned the offensive rebounding. Um, if last year's any indication, they're going to go away from the style that got them there. Like you you know Stephen Adams. Uh, I, I, it's not surprising that Stephen Adams has a had a has a reduced playoff role for this team, but you know at times completely excising him from the rotation. Um. You know, if your half court offense is bad, and then you take away the the offensive rebounding, then your half court offense is just terrible. Yeah, yeah it's um, and I'm I'm interested to see like how the the Jackson Clark lineups do um, on the glass in particular on on the defensive side, and like the Jackson and no Clark, like whoever it is at the four, like those lineups have not been particularly good rebounding, which you know, is kind of obvious. Um, and if you want to get out in transition, you, it's, it can't just be steals. You got to get the defensive rebounds too. So you can get out there. So that's pretty important. Um, and if you're going to have one knock against, uh, Jackson's defensive game, I think it's that he's not a, he's not a good individual rebounder and he's not, he's not been a guy who has, you know, he, he's not a Lopez brother style. I don't grab the rebound, but you don't either. Um, type effect. Yeah, I'm, I am curious how much of it is like he's played with two guys that are very good defensive rebounders uh, in in Steven Adams and Jonas. Um, so how much of it is just like that guy is getting the rebound, but also the Grizzlies aren't a particularly good defensive rebounding team overall. So how much of it is that? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm of I'm I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about the the individual defensive rebounding numbers for guys like him. Um, but yeah, I do think that there is a move to be made, but I also don't know if they're going to be willing to like deal from their stockpile of assets. If it's not something significant, I don't think they've made like in-season deals the last couple of years. If I'm remembering, correctly. I mean, there was the, 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 the sort of the botched, uh, Iguodala trade. I, which is, but that was a summer deal, wasn't it? No, no, no. That was no. I'm talking when they with the in season trade when they got. Oh, the the, the Justice Winslow. That was like yeah. the year before they were good, right? Yeah. No, and I think that's like you know this. I think this the the, the current front office has has gen, generally gotten extremely high marks, and that was kind of the the one sort of. Oof. I don't know if the maybe maybe got right, blinded by Pat Riley's rings on that one. Uh, kind yeah, of. I liked that for them at the time, and um, it just didn't work out. Obviously, Winslow was just not healthy. Um, well, they, and plus, they—I mean, they—they they gave up draft equity and also like usable wing players. Mm-hmm. Like Jay Crowder was was kind of important for for Miami in in in, in the postseason that year. Um, so you know that uh, that that's that was more. Of, uh, it was it was it was. Got that looked like a trade where they got so fixated on the one guy that that you know the 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 opponent uh, the 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 other team you know got got the whiff of deal fever and just sort of just kind of kept kept taking rope you know that that that's what that felt like a little bit but anyway um, 
that's I think that's the hard part about looking for teams that that have a move to make this year is who's the move to make for. Like you say, oh, a big wing who can defend and play make and and yeah, everybody and, wants that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> well, okay, uh, are you trading for Paul George? <laughs> like, I don't know. So who's so who does that leave, and who does that leave on a team that's willing to deal? Yeah, it's not like the you can call up the Celtics and be like, give us Jalen Brown, and that's going to happen. You know. I mean, um, if if the Hawks decide to go a certain way, is like Bogdanovich a guy you look at, or I don't know the the defense aspect there and the injury aspect there yeah. is tough to deal with. Um, it's it's again it's tough to identify who that guy is. Like, are they? Uh, I mean, if they could be an OG Ananobi team, that would be fantastic. The, the other name I was thinking of was Kuzma. Yeah, Kuzma could work. I don't know if like. I don't know if I see him as enough of a character, especially since he's a free agent this offseason, I think. Um, like, are you going to commit that money yeah. to him? And that's another thing with Dylan Brooks, by the way, is he's a free agent this offseason. So are they going to want to pay whatever it's going to take to keep him? Or are they going to want to say, let's cycle to somebody else who maybe has you know a little bit more team control? I think, And I think that's where, that, that, that's where they're hoping that one of their young guys – can step into that role. I think that would be with that. That's no, just reading between the lines. They have drafted at that position a bunch. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like is Zaire Williams, the yeah. Dylan Brooks spot next year or whatever. And that's, and that's a, it's a, I mean, you can't, that's, you can't, it's hard to imagine a more like jarring sort of, sort of stylistic shift. Yeah. <laughs> or just um, like general, like demeanor. Shift. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I think I mean Kuzma's a Kuzma, Kuzma's a really interesting. I mean, they, 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 that's almost a question for for Memphis is, um, are you good enough that you think that you know what? Even if he leaves, uh, we're still going to get you know thirty games in the playoffs of, of of Kyle Kuzma, and that could easily be the thing that pushes pushes him over the top. So who cares if he's not going to resign? Now they're young enough that they probably aren't going to think that way. But I'm wondering if, like, if 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 a team should think that way, I'm wondering if they should think that way because the you know the window is the window is open. You're not guaranteed anything. I just I I just wonder about that. I think it probably depends on like what the actual price is. Like yeah. if it's you know one first round pick, maybe they're willing to pay it. If the Wizards are asking for one first round pick plus like Zaire Williams and another one of the other guys, and like. Oh, like that's. I mean, you start to think about that if uh, if uh, if if you're friendly with the agent and and maybe you know know how to pass signs back, you know, signs back and forth. Because right, I meant just in thinking of like, well, even if he doesn't stay, then we're okay with this. Yeah, Um, you know, the the, the price gets different. Yeah, that becomes one where you kind of need to have the understanding beforehand. That not that. Not that not that teams would pre-negotiate those things. Ever. No, never. That's not never allowed. doesn't happen. Um, cool. Anything else you, you you think we should hit on the Grizzlies, or can we should we move to to you know more general around the league? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, Clark Aldama, those guys are you know pretty interesting. Yeah, the 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 Dylan Brooks spot I think is the big one. Like if they're gonna make. A move like is you know the Dylan Brooks spot I guess in the lineup 
with, you know, the Danny Green contract or Dylan Brooks? Like, is he part of their future? I know, obviously, they value his defense and what he brings to them in terms of, like, attitude and culture and things like that. And everybody on the team is always like, yeah, we don't care how much he shoots because of what he what he brings for us. But I think as a front office, you have to be a little bit less um, – I mean, the, the culture stuff obviously does matter, but you do have to be able to weigh it against yeah. – the downsides and like what the decision-making process is there. I don't know that there's necessarily any, any other like big topic that we're not touching on. Like, you know, Jaws really good, but is he fifth in the MVP race or something like that? And like, I'm not all that interested in that conversation right now. Sure. Um, so do you want to, do you want to talk about Knicks as, as a New Yorker, as a Knicks fan, or you just want to leave that alone and, and, um, and hit hit somebody else. Um, I've got a couple things to say about the Knicks. One thing is, I think over this last couple of week stretch where first Jalen Brunson was out for a few games and then R.J. Barrett has was out for, I think, six or seven games, I think one thing that they've sort of discovered is that they kind of need quickly to play down the stretch because otherwise teams just press Brunson full court and take the ball out of his hands and they get, like, nothing out of their offense. They need somebody else who can handle the ball and and run the offense out there on the court with Brunson to be able to do that. And I I think that makes for some uncomfortable rotation decisions for them because Tibbs is obviously going to have Brunson and Randall on the court. He always wants to have a center on the court, which means that Robinson or Hartenstein or Sims or whoever on that given night is going to be out there. And then you can only play one of Barrett and Grimes un- unless Tibbs is willing to go small and play them both with, with Randall in the front court. But I think it's an interesting sort of decision that they have there because I do think they need that second ball handler. Why did why does New York? It seems like they've continuously acted as if they don't think quickly is good. Uh, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I have been talking about this for a while. Like what on Nate's podcast where we did the the Knicks preview before the start of the season, we were like, you know, what's your your Knicks opinion that you don't think everybody else agrees with? And I was just like, quickly is way better than people think he is, um, including the Knicks. And and, uh, they have consistently, since he got to New York, they have basically been trying to replace him pretty much since they got here. Um, They saw how well he was playing early in his rookie year. They traded for Derrick Rose. They went out last summer and, you know, brought in Kemba Walker and they started Alec Burks at the point. Like I, I just, I don't understand what they don't see in him. Although there was a report over the weekend where it was like, you know, the Knicks now see quickly as a core piece and they're not going to trade him. I don't remember where exactly that came from. It might've been one of those nonsense places that one of my friends texts me all the time. And I'm like, why are you sending me this? This is not a real report. And it's just like stuck in my head, but it, it, it doesn't make much sense to me. You know, the consistently the impact metrics every single year, the team is like way better when he's on the court. All of the players on the team are way better when he's on the court. I think Brunson has been better when he's been on the court this year. Um, so I don't know what it is that they haven't seen or don't see or maybe now do see. But I do think it's important for them that they have that second ball handler out there in the backcourt with him. And I think that that makes some things interesting for them. It's really weird because they reached to draft him, which meant they saw something in him, and then he was then he proved them right to reach to draft him, and but they're like, mm, you know what, this isn't it. It's well, it's, very, it's very not weird. a reach if you went 
to Kentucky or or a CAA client. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I think this. I mean, I think that combined with the fact that he seems to be back in favor um, indicates that there's a little bit of the same old Knicks in terms of the who has the, who has the you know who has the reins at any given moment uh, can change. Yeah, I mean, it's potentially possible. Like, I think that there was, you know, when the rotation got shortened earlier in the season with Rose and Fournier getting taken out and Deuce McBride being put in and, you know, playing quickly as more of like, this is the first guy off the bench every night and he's got to play a bunch of minutes. I think that that was a result of maybe some heat uh, at (laughs) at the time when they were looking not so good. And it was like, you know, if you're going down, like, this is something that needs to happen. And obviously they've played much better since that time. Some of that is because, you know, Quickly and Grimes and McBride are probably their best defenders along with Robinson. Um, So having those guys on the court more often has helped their defense a lot. But um, I'm not sure what else, you know, to, to unpack there, I guess. Um. A favorite topic of mine, uh, RJ. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's obviously he's been hurt for the last little bit, but it's not. Yeah, he came back uh, the other night um, and played like really, really well in the first half and then was uh, pretty brutal in the second half, but kept out there for extended minutes while he was like sucking wind, which, you know, makes sense because he was out for seven games and he's playing like 40 minutes like. Why does that need to happen? Um, but there, there was a stretch earlier in the season where I was like, why is he being afforded so much leeway on offense to do all this when, like, you know, nobody has ever been this efficient while carry this inefficient while carrying this type of usage and still be allowed to carry this type of usage? And then he had that stretch right before he got hurt where he was, you know, considerably more efficient on even higher usage. And it was like... It, a, a, a pretty significant stretch of like above average efficiency on very high usage for whatever it was like 12, 13 games or whatever it is. But that's also the kind of thing that we've seen from him during his career, like long stretches of extreme inefficiency at high usage. And then another stretch of like, Hey, this is what it looks like when it all comes together. And wow. You know, like I, I think that that's been a consistent theme throughout his career is, you know, the this pendulum swings back and forth wildly between those extremes. And the question is, what do you do with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, uh, that's, almost, that, that's almost really, on a, on a meta level, that's almost the perfect New York player. Because there's always <laughs> something to talk about. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's either either oh he's the he's he's arriving and you haters shut up or oh what the I can't believe how bad and it, it, it's it it is the you know him and Randall are just like the like they're not the perfect for you know winning a championship but for uh, tremendous content in the in the New York City tabloids I would imagine that it would be hard to do much better. Yeah, you know, they're perfect for, you know, WFAN and whatever channel ESPN radio is now. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's let's finish up. Is there any any other team that you want to talk about that you think is particularly interesting? I think I'm a little hawks to, to death right now. Um, yeah, I I kind of am too. Um, um 
I mean, everybody is talking about Toronto um, and what the heck they're going to do. I don't think I can see them just going into, like, full blow-it-up mode, like we're going to trade everyone except Scotty Barnes. I don't know that I see that, but... I don't feel if, like they have to. I think that they, that, that they are, like, their current team construction probably doesn't work, but they're not, like, locked in in any, in any significant way. Like they, can, I mean, they have a lot of flexibility because they yes. have a lot of guys who should be desirable to other teams. Yes, exactly. Although I'm not sure with Van Vliet shooting the way he's been this year and being, like, a tiny guard, I'm not sure the return on him would be as much as you might think it would be. I mean, that might be, I mean, there, there's, you just wonder if that's the sort of situation where if you know he's not coming back, if you know you don't really plan to bring him back and you, and you probably aren't a title team this year, you start to have to make some, some decisions about, you know, w- whether just kind of from, you know, recouping the asset, if you will, even if the return is not what you would hope, if that makes more sense. And you know that's also complicated by you know the 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 importance of what he's given to the franchise. But I my impression is that uh, Masai Ujiri is is um, not someone who will be overly swayed by that kind of sentiment. Yeah, he traded Demar Derozan um, and and then won a title, and then traded Kyle Lowry after the title. Um, you know, sign and trade, I guess. But um, I guess the last thing is Cleveland. Um, because there was Perk said something the other day about Evan Mobley, like where is he? Like, oh my god! And, and I had just watched the Cavs Jazz from the night before, where it was like the defense that Mobley played in the fourth quarter was like oh my god level. Um, but um, they're another well, they're, team. Like they they need that big wing too, and I just don't know where they get it or who it is or how they're able to get it given all that they gave up to get Mitchell. But like if, if they just got that one guy, I would feel so good about them. They're they're a little bit harder because you can't. I think with Memphis you could go with a with a you know a, a Kuzma sort of a a four three or just a, just a, a forward type because Cleveland is so built on the two bigs. They like you know it's two bigs and two smalls. They don't have yeah. the in between guy. Yeah, and it worked a little bit with Markinen last year. Um, but I but I kind of feel like that you know it has to be more of a pure three than. Than you could get out of out of Kuzma. So as as interesting a and and, I don't, and, I, and also I don't think they have they have the uh, levers to acquire Kuzma. So who is that? Who is that perimeter guy who's there? Like I don't think I think Jay Crowder's a four now. Uh, he probably helps them, but that's he that's probably more, does help them just because they need anybody that can guard big waves. Yeah, but I mean, it's D, probably D not. D Wade the does thing. okay when he's when he's healthy, but they still need more than that. Like he's, if he's coming off your bench as, as that spot, I think you're pretty happy if he's starting mm-hmm. your, so yeah. yeah, I'm in the same spot. Um, uh, I mean, Mobley's an interesting one because I mean, just like, yeah, his, he hasn't developed. Well, you know, yes, they did, but they just dropped a 35 usage player like on that roster. So there's not exactly a lot of room for like offensive expansion for a second-year player. He's doing absolutely everything that is being asked of him. He's yeah. playing, like, all defense, level defense. He's rebounding. He's being a complimentary scorer. He's shooting, like, almost 60% on twos this year. Like, the, the only quibble I have with him is the free throws. Um, I need those to not be, like, sub-70%. 
Yeah. Other than that, like I'm not sure what else, what more he could be doing. I mean, like, is could, his usage down a little bit? Yeah, but he's making up for it. I mean, he could be a more effective spacer, and I think yeah. that's, that's that's of a piece with the free throws. Like the that, like think that if you're worried about him developing into like I think that I think the championship version of the Cavs, he might be their best player, while Mitchell is their big is their is their biggest star and biggest scorer, but. To get to that point, he needs to be, you know, he could be a plus offense, a, a plus complementary offensive player. I'm not sure if he can be as a four in the playoffs if he's a non-shooter. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, so the, just the shooting in general, like we, you'd like to see some steps forward, I guess is probably where I come down to. Um, in terms of willingness, too, like I'm looking at it yep. now, he's taking... He's taken 44 threes in 41 games. And there's um, some bad record scratches in there if you watch them play. Yeah. I mean, I'm sometimes, like, fine with him just, like, handing it off to to Garland or Mitchell and letting them take the shot just because, you know, he's not been a particularly good shooter. But you can't bring everything to a screeching halt, like you say, with yes. the record scratch. Yeah. The line has to keep moving in – quick succession. It can't be you're standing there for two seconds before handing it off. It has to be like attack right away in some way if you're not shooting it. I think that's a good place to kind of wrap and just note that there are I think there are probably three teams this year that are and I'm, that are, are going to you know be show me what you got playoff teams. And it's it's a little bit Memphis, even though we've seen good things from them. But are they are they really a title level team? And then obviously New Orleans and Cleveland, kind of on on their first, uh, you know, either first run or first extended run. Obviously, Pelicans are in the playoffs last year, but a, a very different version of them. I mean, I think the the Zion Pelicans are just a different team than the ones that that made the, the playoffs last year. Oh, obviously, yeah. Um, and the the Zion Ingram Pelicans are also a different team, and we haven't seen Ingram in a while either. Um, I just would like to note that they don't seem to have missed Ingram, at least while Zion was healthy, at all. And I still have questions about those two playing together, and I still have questions about their overall team, um, you know, concept with Ingram. And I'm just wondering if teams need like the big wing. Like what kind of haul could you? What kind of like what would be out there if uh, if Ingram was available? I just uh, I'll tell out. you this: if you dropped him onto Cleveland or Memphis, I'd be pretty good with it. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't think I'm like I don't think Memphis. There's a trade to be made with Memphis. Being just no, I don't of, think there is either. Of, of of like from an asset standpoint, I think there would be if Memphis was in the East. Like that that those become interesting discussions. I think. Which I always hate, by the way. Like. You should be going for the best return on your investment, not for the best return in the other conference. Well, I, in this particular case, like these are very likely playoff opponents, and so then you get, then I think, um, you know, the, the, these could easily be either conference finals or second round opponents, and I, in, in that case, like I can, I can see being a little reticent to do something to, to do something that's going to get you beat. You know, I can. No, I get it. Yeah. I also uh, the the other part of my brain is just like get the best deal for yourself and worry about who it's with later. 
But they, but these they, they are teams that appear to be in a spot where they're good enough that they have to worry about the this sort of playoff right. stuff. No, I, I totally understand. It yeah. just like it it gets at that one part of my brain that's like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, well, Jared, thanks a lot for for coming on 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 short notice. Uh, you had your 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 piece published on Jaron this week in uh, five thirty eight. What else you got uh, you got out recently or got coming up? You want to uh, let the people know about. Um, nothing specific out recently, um, coming up, I'm going to have something in a couple weeks that I am sort of finalizing with editors, what the exact topic is going to be. So I don't know if I necessarily want to just say like what it is yet, but it's going to be another thing on like a player where they're sort of coming into their own and becoming the player that, you know, we envision them becoming at the peak of their powers. Well, very cool. Look forward to that. Um, uh, thanks folks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Colin shots.